Welcome to episode 40 of Around the Jewish World with Tom Price. We have finally arrived at the largest country, not only in North Africa, but in the entire continent of Africa, which is Algeria. And it's largest in terms of area, in terms of square mileage by far. It's only the ninth or tenth biggest country in Africa by population. It regularly shifts places between the other contender for ninth and 10th. But it is a large and important country with an almost impossibly complicated history. And I will, in the interest of saving time and in the interest of at least some clarity, I will grossly oversimplify the history of Algeria and not go into the many, 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 many wars that have characterized it throughout its history. I will tell you that like other countries in this series on North Africa, its coastal areas were settled by the Phoenicians in the 8th or 9th century BCE. And these Phoenicians, when they arrived in North Africa, found a Berber civilization that was already far advanced. It supported agriculture, manufacturing, trade, and a high degree of political organization. Trade links between Carthage, the city that was founded by the Phoenicians in what is today Tunisia, around 800 BCE, established very profitable trade links with the Berbers in the interior. But their territorial expansion also resulted in the enslavement or military conscription of many Berbers, and in the extraction of tribute from others. The Carthaginian state eventually disappeared because of a series of defeats at the hands of the Romans in the Punic Wars. And in 148 BCE, the city of Carthage was destroyed. As Carthaginian power slowly disappeared, the influence of Berber leaders in the hinterland in the interior grew significantly. And One of the confusing things, one of the many about Algerian history is that there is a separate group of people called the Kabyle, K-A-B-Y-L-E, who are actually one of many subgroups of Berbers, but they consider themselves special and different in many ways. So you will sometimes hear about Berbers and Kabyles and not realize that Kabyles are sort of one subcategory of Berbers. Christianity reached Algeria in the second century of the Common Era, and by the end of the fourth century, all the settled areas in the north had become Christianized, and some Berber tribes had converted in their entirety. When the Western Roman Empire fell, Algeria came under the control of the so-called barbarian Vandals, But later, the Byzantine Empire conquered Algeria from the Vandals and incorporated it into the structure of the Byzantine Empire and the Byzantine Church. In the second part of the 8th century of the Common Era, the Muslim conquest of North Africa extended as far as Algeria, and this was the beginning of Arab colonization the introduction of the Arabic language, and the introduction of the Islamic religion. The 11th century brought an invasion of more migrants from the Arabian Peninsula, and 
the introduction of both Islam and the Arabic language had a profound impact on the whole region. For the next several centuries, what is today Algeria was ruled by a series of Islamic dynasties, and there were the same Muslims, also Arabs in fact, who ruled in Spain, and the same sort of disturbers of the peace in the sense of the Almoravids and the Almohads and whatever, who caused political unrest and sometimes political collapse in Spain, also brought Islamic reform. The Almohads, for example, captured Algiers in 1151 and by 1160 had completed the conquest of the whole central Maghreb. The zenith of their power occurred at the very end of the 12th century, and for the first time, the whole Maghreb was united under a local regime. But the continuing wars in Spain, both between Muslims and between Muslims and Catholics, overtaxed the resources of the Almohads, and their position became compromised. Then there were a lot of Algerian Berber dynasties and empires, too many to name. But I will tell you that the final triumph of the Christians in the very long process of reconquering Spain from the Muslims, this was a process that was like more than 700 years, and it ended with the fall of Granada, the last Islamic stronghold in Spain in 1492. Spain never sought to extend its North African conquest much beyond a few modest enclaves on the coast in what is today Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia. Piracy was an old established practice in the Mediterranean, and North African rulers engaged in it increasingly in the late 16th and 17th centuries because it was so lucrative. Until the 17th century, the Barbary pirates used galleys, but a Dutch renegade taught them the advantage of using sailing ships, and Algeria became the privateering, pirating city-state par excellence. Two brothers were instrumental in expanding Ottoman influence in Algeria. At about the time that Spain was establishing its presence in this region, these two brothers, one of whom was Barbarossa, were operating successfully off the coast of Tunisia, but in 1516, the one surviving brother moved his base of operations to Algiers, was killed two years later in 1518, but he was succeeded by Barbarossa, who became the military commander of Algiers, and the Ottoman Sultan gave him the title of Baylor Bay, provincial governor. And as we get to more recent history, the Algerian hatred for foreign colonizers and occupiers continued to grow with good reason. The Spanish expansionist policy in North Africa, over which they had no historic claim whatsoever, was focused on several towns and ports on the coast. Mers el Kabir, which means the Great Harbor in 1505, Oran in 1509, Algiers in 1510, etc., etc. The Spanish conquest of Oran was won with so much bloodshed that more than 4,000 Algerians were massacred and up to 8,000 were taken prisoner. For the next 200 years, Oran's inhabitants were virtually held captive in their fortress walls, 
ravaged by famine and plague and poverty. Spanish soldiers, too, were irregularly led and irregularly paid. So the Spanish grip on power was never really accepted and was never actually that strong. They left Algiers in 1529. They left Marisol Kabir and Oran in 1708, but returned in 1732 and again in 1751 and intermittently through the course of the 18th century. Oran and Marisol Kabir were in Spanish hands until 1792 when they were sold by King Charles IV to the Bay of Algiers. Now, what you may or may not realize in the backs of your minds is that for much of this period, the two imperial powers who really struggled for control over the Mediterranean were the Ottoman Empire and the Spanish Empire. And the Spanish had a lot of ports and territories in the western half of the Mediterranean, the Ottomans in the eastern half. However, after the Spanish were defeated in a major attack on Algiers in 1775, the Turks consolidated their control, and Algiers became the center of Ottoman authority in the whole region. For 300 years, at least theoretically, Algeria was a vassal state of the Ottoman Empire under a regency that had Algiers as the capital and subsequently a more typical Ottoman administration came in. In 1671, in 1710, the day became a pasha and Algiers remained part of the Ottoman Empire but largely in name only. The Ottomans ceased to have real effective influence. European maritime powers paid the tribute demanded by the pirates, and they tried to unite in preventing attacks on their shipping. When peace was finally restored to Europe after the Napoleonic Wars in 1815, Algiers found itself at war with Spain, the Netherlands, Prussia, Denmark, Russia, and Naples, clearly overwhelmed. So Algeria and the surrounding areas collectively known as the Barbary States were responsible for the bulk of the piracy in the Mediterranean as well as the enslaving of Christians, which brought them into the First and Second Barbary Wars with the United States of America. Who knew, right? I want to accelerate a little so that we can get in all that we need to get in in this episode. The boundaries between North African countries shifted a lot during various stages of these conquests. The borders of modern Algeria were expanded by the French, whose colonization activities began in 1830. To benefit French colonists, many of whom were not, in fact, French, but Italian, Maltese, or Spanish, having only Catholicism in common, and nearly all of whom lived in urban areas, northern Algeria was eventually organized into Overseas Département of France, you may remember that in one of the episodes on France, I talked about La Femme, La France Outre-mer, which is a ministry that used to administer from Paris all the departments and territories of the French overseas empire, which included Algeria. But Algeria was almost considered, in some senses, a domestic département, and it had representatives in the French National Assembly. 
France controlled the entire country, but the traditional Muslim population in the rural areas, particularly in the south, remained completely removed from the modern economic infrastructure of the European community. France took various punitive measures against Algeria for real and imagined insults in the early 19th century. But by 1848, nearly all of northern Algeria was under French control. And the new government of France's Second Republic declared the occupied lands as an integral part of France. In addition to being ruled by a foreign non-Muslim power, many Algerians lost their lands either to the new government or to the colonists. Traditional leaders were eliminated, co-opted, or marginalized, and the traditional educational system was largely dismantled. From 1856, native Muslims and Jews were viewed as French subjects, not as citizens, although all Jews in France itself were citizens, and this was a contradiction that was clearly apparent. So in 1865, Napoleon III allowed these Jews and select Muslims to apply for full French citizenship, an option of which few people took advantage because there were many disadvantages to them in this deal. So a few years later, in 1870, the famous Clemieux Decree made French citizenship automatic for Jewish natives, a move which angered many Muslims and resulted in the Jews being seen as the accomplices of the colonial power by the increasingly anti-colonial Algerians. And we will quickly fast forward to the 20th century. During the 20s and 30s, a new generation of Islamic leadership emerged in Algeria, and many groups were formed to oppose French colonial rule. The most important of these groups was the so-called FLN, the National Liberation Front. And the colonists, known colloquially as Pieds Noirs, which is literally black feet, dominated the government, controlled most of Algeria's wealth, and very little went to the native Muslims. Throughout the colonial period, there was a lot of dissatisfaction and unrest. And then World War II came, and Algerian Muslims rallied to the French side at the beginning, as they had done during World War I. But the colonists were generally sympathetic to the Vichy regime, established following France's defeat by Nazi Germany. When the Vichy regime fell in Algeria on November 11, 1942, the Free French Commander-in-Chief slowly canceled all the repressive Vichy laws, which affected both Jews and Muslims, despite opposition by right-wing extremists among the colonizers. Then a series of governments emerged which had a little bit more of an Algerian flavor, but were, which were still really controlled by France. So in the early morning hours on November 1st, 1954, the FLN launched attacks throughout Algeria in the opening salvo of a war of independence. This war was long and bloody, and finally, protracted negotiations in a place where the French loved to negotiate unsuccessful treaties took place in Evian in 1962. The terms of these accords provided for continuing economic, financial, technical, and cultural relations, but guaranteed the religious and property rights of both French settlers and the locals. But, and this is a topic which is extremely taboo in France itself, even today, long after this 
War of Independence, which lasted from 54 to 62. The first taboo subject used to be the role that somebody played in World War II. Were they a collaborationist? Were they part of the Lazy Stones? Um, how supportive were they of Vichy and the Nazis, etc., etc.? Eventually, that subject became at least a little bit approachable and not completely taboo. But this part of French history involving its exit from Algeria remains largely taboo. The abusive tactics of the French army included illegal methods such as beatings, mutilations, hanging by the feet or hands, torture by electroshock, waterboarding, sleep deprivation, sexual assaults, and many others. French war crimes against Algerian civilians were also committed, including indiscriminate shooting of civilians, bombings of villages suspected of helping the Liberation Front, all kinds of horrific things, throwing prisoners out of helicopters to their death into the sea with concrete on their feet and burying people alive. The FLN no doubt also committed many atrocities, both against the French Pieds Noirs and against fellow Algerians who they considered were too supportive of the French. These crimes included killing unarmed men, women, and children, rape, disembowelment, or decapitation of women and children. And somehow during this horribly protracted and grotesquely violent war, more than a million Algerians are estimated to have died, and more than two million out of a total Muslim population of 10 million were made into refugees or forcibly relocated into government-run camps. Much of the countryside and the agricultural underpinnings of the country were devastated, along with the modern economy that had been dominated by urban European settlers, the Pieds Noirs, who massively left. So Algeria finally became independent from France on July 3rd, 1963. And following that independence, there was a series of presidents and military regimes of various degrees of competence and corruption. And this inevitably led to a civil war in the 1990s. By some calculations, this civil war actually lasted from 1992 to 2019. In any case, at very few points over the last 50 years has Algeria been a stable, functioning democracy. And moving on to the story of the Jews in Algeria, scholars are in disagreement as to whether in Algeria, as in other places on the North African coast, Jews accompanied the Phoenicians when they first settled in the 8th or 9th century before the Common Era. But there is no debate at all that from the first century of the Common Era, there is documented Jewish settlement that was reinforced by the War of 117 in the Common Era in Israel. And by the 7th century, Jewish settlements in North Africa were, were reinforced by Jewish immigrants who came from Spain fleeing the persecutions of the Visigoths. Of course, the big increase in Algeria's Jewish population occurred following two waves of disruption in Spain. The first was the persecutions in more northern Spain and the Balearic Islands in 1391, and the second was the expulsion decree issued in Granada in 1492. 
thousands and thousands of Jews settled in what is today Algeria, and particularly in Oran, they preserved Ladino until the end of the 19th century. Jewish merchants did remarkably well in late Ottoman Algiers, and the French attack on Algeria was provoked by the day's demand that the French government pay its large outstanding debts to two Jewish merchants. When the French first arrived in 1830, the Algerian Jewish population was somewhere around 16,000 people, mostly concentrated in the coastal cities. About 6,500 Jews lived in Algiers, where they made up 20% of the overall population. Another 2,000 lived in Oran, 3,000 in Constantine, and the rest were scattered in smaller settlements. At the time, the French government distinguished French citizens who had voting rights in France and were subject to French laws and conscription from Jewish and Muslim indigenous peoples who were each allowed to keep their own laws and courts. By 1841, the Jewish rabbinical courts were placed under French jurisdiction linked to the consistoire centrale of the Jewish community of Paris. The big change was the Cremieux Decree that I mentioned before, by which Jews automatically were granted French citizenship in 1870. Uh, at this point, there were some 33,000 Jews in Algeria, but that number rose considerably towards the end of the 19th century and early in the 20th century. By 1940, there were about 120,000 Jews in Algeria, and when they were subject to Vichy rule, even Jews who had converted to another religion were subject to the anti-Semitic laws, which were known collectively as le statut des Juifs, the law of the Jews. Eventually, after much political activity and lobbying, the government of Germany recognized that Algerian Jews who were affected by Vichy were entitled to the same compensation as Jews in Berlin who had their property seized by the Nazis. So much, much long after the war, Algerian Jews or their descendants were in fact compensated by Germany. Once Algeria gained its independence in 1962, it passed a nationality code depriving non-Muslims of citizenship. This law extended citizenship only to those people whose fathers and paternal grandfathers were Muslims. At that time, in 1963, the country had approximately 140,000 Jews, and 95% of them went into exile immediately after the passage of this law. Something like 132,000 Jews left Algeria and mostly went to either France or Israel. By the end of the 60s, there were fewer than 1,000 Jews still living in Algeria. By 1975, the government had seized all but one of the country's synagogues, and converted all of them to either mosques or libraries. So at latest count, in 2020, there were approximately 200 Jews left in all of Algeria, which is sad, but not as sad as it could have been and is in other countries that are completely devoid of Jewish populations. And there is one synagogue which can still be visited, although it's a mosque. It's called the Mosque of the Jews, because it was the great synagogue of Algiers. And I won't go into the whole list, but in both France and Israel today, there are 
hundreds of famous people whose roots are in Algeria, and they are household names in their respective communities. And this Algerian community gave more than anyone might imagine to the Jewish world in terms of scholarship, in terms of the arts, in terms of music, even sportsmen and famous athletes come from this Algerian Jewish community. So I look forward to talking with you again soon and hope you learned something today about Algeria and its very strange relationship with both France on the one hand and the Jewish world on the other. Thank you for your attention.